What up, bitches? <laughs> Can Hi. you imagine if I was that kind of guy? I mean, we I've been meaning to talk to you about you need to like amp up your persona a little more if we really want this to go anywhere. <laughs> you know, I've I listened back to the lung episode and I felt so bad cuz I was speaking so slowly, but the thoughts just have to form in my head in order for me to speak. Well, that's the fancy thing, you know, now people can like play the podcast at 1.1 speed or 1.25 speed or ludicrous two times speed. I don't know how (laughs) anyone does that. (laughs) I can't, I don't do podcasts that way, but I do watch YouTube videos for this that way because it's, yeah. I need to get just to the point that like is interesting enough for me to write down, you know, and then I'll go back, you know. 10 seconds and re-listen to it yeah and some of those especially when you're like watching a lecture like from you know 12 years ago from some something that happened at caltech or whatever and it's right so you're you know like okay i'm gonna be in for this like an hour and a half long i know i'm only gonna really need to like focus on about whatever 15 minutes that is directly related to whatever we're talking about but yeah it'd be good so then I just kind of have it on in the background at one and a half times speed and then if I start to hear the keywords that I really want to cue in on is I slow that slow that bitch down yeah yeah <laughs> uh, especially when it's one of the professors at the board and they're like first we have hydrogen h yeah y <laughs> d <laughs> Yeah, I don't need you. Uh, why don't we skip that part out? Can we can we hire a video editor? And there's there's maybe only like four uh, physicists that are also like lecturers and teachers that have an engaging personality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I feel one, sorry like, for those kids that are really going for that degree and they have to like sit through this two times a week for like multiple semesters and these guys man god love their brains but boy (laughs) it is it is tough to get through some of this stuff man i don't know did you ever have a professor that was like thought he was that guy what thought thought that he he was was like yeah had the charisma of a evangelical pastor (laughs) no like my um I had one teacher and she was like the head of the uh, literature department at UTD, but she taught uh, a whole series on all of the Wizard of Oz books, all the L. Frank Baum Wizard of Oz books. So there's a ton of them. It's not just Wizard of Oz. There's like Return to Oz and Ozma of Oz and TikTok and like like all these other things. It's all related. Um, TC's favorite. Yeah. So, uh, but she would like, You'd take like her other classes, like early American literature and other things, and she's just like a normal professor. But when she's doing the Oz class, she was like, get into it, you know? She's like, do voices and things like that. When she would do the, uh, do some readings in the classroom, she just was way into it. <laughs> Man. Uh, my genetics professor jumped up on a desk one time because he's like, I'm trying to get you guys excited about this, whatever. And, and everyone just stared uh, at him. Uh, he tried, he a, he tried a high down. school football coach move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. High school football coaches were great. Uh, I think I've told the story of the one that gave himself heat stroke uh, during two a days that he wore a sweatsuit and then a windsuit on top of it because he was telling us that the heat's just in your mind. And uh-huh. about yeah, yeah. an hour later, an ambulance was pulling up. <laughs> yeah. 
it's all it's just a it's just a psychological experience. <laughs> yeah. Temperature. Yeah, he was the guy that would repeat our the motto all the time that uh, uh the game the way he wanted us to play football was with um how do you put it with a smile on your face and murder in your heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's never ending to find the beginning that came before everything. Like kids with decoders discover the wonder in the could have been giving you good information though like if suddenly you start to think you feel nice and cool out here <laughs> something yeah. bad is about to happen to your body <laughs> yeah yeah He's, he was just giving you guys a heads up like uh hey you know hypothermia works both ways <laughs> <laughs> oh man um well you caught me at a good time so i actually so i apologize at a needing to miss two weeks i'm sure it was everybody at home was fretting look we have a very progressive paternity leave policy here at riding the taurus right we're not like cumulus no yeah we we give more than a day um but yeah i'm working on those uh paintings i was telling you i think before we recorded last time that like i was working on one design and i was like i don't know this is getting real complicated and uh it was it was a very difficult one so i eventually scrapped it and now i'm working on two of them where i've finally drawn them out and i'm about to start cutting uh just in time for us to move up to la <laughs> so uh doing that this week as well where all the cool art people live uh right right yeah in gardena um I'm very excited about the place, but yeah, it's going to be moving tomorrow, Friday and Saturday. And, uh, are you doing it by yourself? Just carloads at a time or do you hire movers? I've never hired movers in my life. I never will. Um, Eric, you're 30. Oh, by the way, this is the other reason you missed is because you didn't want anyone to know that you turned 32 years old. (laughs) Right. But as a 32 year old man, you need to, uh, embrace the mover (laughs) no see i can't do it out of um and i'm sure this is the exact reason why people don't hire movers but i have too much confidence in my moving ability (laughs) i have i have moved so many times in my life i went to four different elementary schools and if you recall that's only five grades um and so i moved a ton for that uh and then my divorced parents in their infinite wisdom of giving me a stable childhood moved houses multiple times in between them as well um look so your ancestors were nomadic you should be it should be in your genes anyway i don't know why you're getting hung up on this 
<laughs> exactly. And I've moved pretty much every year. Like, I think I stayed, see, in Houston, we stayed at one place for one year, moved, uh, stayed at that place for one year, then went to Tokyo. So that one was a little different because we only took suitcases of clothes. Um, and then we were in an apartment for like a little under two years there and then moved our stuff to my in-laws place for a few months, then moved back to the U S again, only suitcases plus two dogs. Um, so that was fun at LAX. Then apart unit changed the units there. So same building, but had to still pack everything up and move it and then move down here and then moved units here. So this is, I'm coming up on like move number 20 yeah. probably in my life. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. It's a lot of moves. And I'm not and saying, so, I'm not saying you're not good at moving. I'm not implying you. that you're bad at moving. I just, um, I'd rather do it myself. I don't know. <laughs> Something about being, I'm so comfortable in a U-Haul store. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I know how this process works. Right. I'm a man of the people, you know? <laughs> Um, See, I know you're where just, they're upselling me. I know what to get. You're, in, you're incurring all this added risk now because you're going to have to drive a truck in a crowded city with lots of traffic and you know narrow ways of accessing places, and you know so that increases stress and liability on your part because you don't want to accidentally fuck up somebody's car or back into their house or something. Well, the good thing about our new place is. Uh, I'll be able to pull right up to the garage. We have a garage now. Um, hey. so that's a, if you're younger than 32 and you don't have a garage, uh, just know in your future at some point, you might be able to eat ramen noodles for a year so you can afford a place that has a garage. <laughs> don't worry. You'll get there. You won't have a car though. <laughs> no, I did actually buy a bike. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So we'll be able to back right up to the garage and I'll just unload it. I got, we already own a, a furniture dolly and then we, I'm getting like one of those, you know, the two wheel dollies, mm -hmm. man, I can, I can whip a dolly around. <laughs> Honestly, you should see it. It's a thing of beauty. I, I, I believe you. I really believe you. In my experience, after I became 30 years old and I had moved a lot too, uh, but after that point, like it became where I just was cool with just being really good. Nikki and I being really good at like the organizing and preparing for the move, the packing and everything to make this, this perfect streamlined process. Mm. So like then we just had to hire guys who just showed up and then they just walked everything out that we had set up already in an assembly line, just walk it right out the door into the truck. And then they drove the truck. And then just took it all off the truck and dumped it in our garage. And then we did everything else after that. But just the eliminating the uh, the heavy lifting in and out of the truck, trying to pack the truck, doing truck Tetris, getting in, you know, all of that crap, and then having to drive and uh, have all the liability associated with that. That was like the main, like, ah, I feel like I'm an adult now. I don't have to worry about this. Yeah, the the packing is the part that I'm not a big fan of. The 
actually moving it, like putting oh, it in the truck. Oh, so you're more and... like ashamed of movers seeing how poorly you packed everything, which is why you don't want to I'm hire good at them. packing. I'm great at packing. <laughs> <laughs> I can be good at things that I don't like, you know? <laughs> I see. Um, you're just trying yeah. to save face. <laughs> I mean, probably it comes down to that. When we, um, when I don't we can't know. Podcast next week because your lower back doesn't work anymore. No, I've been working out. I got. I'm strong down there now. <laughs> you got trunks, trunks for legs. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I wish this camera was a uh, higher res so you could see. <laughs> see. See how sinewy and veiny those thighs are. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, luckily, I don't have any circular boxes that I need to pack. Otherwise, I would be SOL oh, on figuring out oh. what to put in there. But what if you had like a box, but you also had a like medicine ball that was exactly touching all sides of that box? It like fit inside that box perfectly. Mm-hmm. Then I'd be able to estimate. Yes. Yeah, you'd you'd be pretty close to knowing how much air is inside that medicine ball. Because you can figure out how much air is inside the box. Right. Um, so explain this to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we decided to do pi. And not because we're math nerds. I most certainly am not a math nerd. I uh, wasn't, like, I had a glorious, uh, like, aha moment in seventh grade when I figured out, like, pre-algebra. Like, it, it clicked for the first time. I was like, holy shit, you do the same thing to one side as you do to the other. Not fucking how it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, it was all just fucking gibberish until I unlocked that little little piece of magic. Um, But, yeah, the the real, like, math that I got into in, in high school and stuff, it was during private school we did uh, Euclidean geometry which is you know you're just doing theorems and it's just proving stuff based upon variables and logic and you there's no numbers included in any of it you know so you just say length a uh, length b and length c and if you turn them into a triangle and you you know you make you make the proofs off of that logic rather than com- computing actual numbers so like I love that and that really opened up my mind to like oh okay math isn't like the isn't like this thing uh that is it math is a representation of reality and, and so you can conceive of that reality in lots of ways maybe by the the numbers aren't the thing that reveal that reality to you but you can conceive the same thing as a highly uh computational mathematical concept through uh just understanding like basic geometric shapes and basic rational arguments and stuff like that 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 helps helped me be able to understand it without being a person who is good at like memorizing formulas for a test and all that type of thing yeah i mean i had such difficulty understanding it and unlocking it and honestly, it just came down to I had horrible teachers yeah. that tried to explain math. Like when I was in the third grade, so I had first and uh, I guess kindergarten, first grade, and then half of second grade, I was at like a private school. Um, and then uh, 
after my parents got divorced and my mom moved us uh, in the middle of the year, I went to a, pr- a public school <clears throat> where they were uh, surprise, surprise, much more advanced in the uh, <laughs> material they were teaching. Um, and so uh, second half of second grade was, I was catching up and then third grade, they were like, okay, we're doing like multiplication whenever, like it was not readily available in my brain to unlock that level yet. Yeah, and you had just figured out, oh, I put the bigger number on top when I'm subtracting. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, it was almost like I just, they would be like, here's two numbers. What is, you know, subtract them or whatever. And it was mainly like, what's the difference between these yeah. two numbers? But, um, so yeah, it was it was bigger number on top, that kind of stuff. And so... The uh, multiplication to me for maybe up until like later fourth grade, uh, I had just recalled back to my third grade teacher telling me, I was like, I don't understand why, like what is multiplication and why do we need it? And she's like, it's just a way to do addition faster. And like, that is how it was described to me. So that's what I thought it was. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Um, that's technically right in a way yeah yeah but it's (laughs) but i don't think you can go into that and then go into algebra like it doesn't yeah yeah you cannot do like three x and be like well that's a way to count x's faster or something like right right you know and Um, and it leads to the obvious you know question of uh why if like you're asking the question of why would anyone want to do adding faster (laughs) Right, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, <I> was, <laughs> what, what 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 could possibly be the reason for that? <laughs> I was a young Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> um, so then it was, I, and I'm very narrative like driven too. So it was very confusing to me whenever they would be like, "Well, okay, we have like a rack full of bikes, bicycles. Um, so how many wheels do we have if we count the number of bikes?" And in my head, I'm like, "Well." How many of them have like training wheels on them? You know? Yeah, like, yeah. You're like, tell I me more, more about this story. Yeah. Right, exactly. So it didn't click for me. Um, and as uh TC and Jake, who obviously were not in uh extra potential courses or gifted and talented, um, <laughs> which TC kept calling talented and gifted, which was driving me nuts. Um uh, and as someone who was uh, plucked very early on. Yeah, as, uh, as an as A, a student child, myself. <laughs> um, it was, it, it eventually did click. And then those courses, like, you know, being in the expo stuff, um, they start teaching you a little bit more advanced math than you would get. And the reading is more interesting books than you know whatever hop on pop they were reading in fifth grade or mm-hmm. i'm not sure what they did in reading class um <laughs> we were we were but, I'm sure that by fifth grade i i was homeschooled in fifth grade so i was reading like whatever i Nietzsche. wanted yeah. well no that was when i was that was when i told you before i was into that uh zion series of books that were like uh young adult christian books about uh the uh, second coming of Christ and life on earth during the tribulation. And like all these kids are banding together to like stay alive. (laughs) (laughs) 
think it's called yeah, the Zion yeah. Chronicles. Yeah, that would be a good one. We should do some book reports on those sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I I read really slow at that age too. So I got in trouble at the library because they're like, you can't check out the same book eight weeks in a row. I'm like, I'm not done with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like it's a hundred pages. You guys could just pages, let me kid. check it out for long until I'm done. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, which uh, I'm sure Justin will laugh because I've, I've we've been exchanging those uh, three body problem series books, and mm-hmm. he's been like, Are, "Have you read it yet?" <laughs> like, no, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I'm slow. I'm um, uh, I'm about a third of the way through the first one. Okay. It, it it's confusing. You're like, how does this relate at all? And then it all comes together. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm still in a bunch of trials in China, so trying to follow what's going on. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's interesting. Uh, it goes. It kind of bounces back and forth eventually, but it makes more sense. Uh, the so if what I'm trying to say is math eventually started clicking, but it was still. I was like. I felt way behind understanding like like I think certain geometric things geometry didn't click for me like where it 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 made intuitive sense until like either in college or out of college and I was taking you know calculus in college mm-hmm. like I took calculus at the end of high school and then my first year of college I took pre-cal cuz I had already taken that so that's an easy A and then you take calculus, which you've already taken. And so that's another easy A. But it's, you know, those things didn't make sense. So when we're looking at pi and understanding, like, it's an irrational number, you can you can describe that to me all you want. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to make sense to me. I'll, okay, let's go through it. All 2.7 trillion digits, one by one, and then eventually you'll get it. By by the last by the last one that's been discovered so far, you'll you'll get it. Hopefully, you'll get it by by that one. Yeah, it 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 makes so little sense to me that it goes on endlessly, just because. Like I under it. That's the weird thing. And Miho was talking to me about this last night. She's like, "You don't understand this, but you." can like understand the like you know um infinity of space and things yeah. I'm like yeah because they're not describing it with math i know there's a way to describe it with math but you can also describe it without numbers <laughs> well um in in a way it is it does it, it doesn't have a direct relation to you know like quantum field theory or quantum mechanics but you can speak about it in a way in a quantum way um, mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of questions on, you know, people when they start to study this and how like, you know, you keep adding digits to pi in order to create the accuracy of how to calculate the perfect curve of a perfect circle. So if we know the universe, right, and we can know the size of the universe now by by measuring from Earth in all directions, we can see that it's expanding. You know, we, we've talked about that. And then we've also talked about, like, the Planck length, the smallest possible, you know, measurable distance. Um, so there is, like, a, a an estimate in a... If you just took a, 
still frame of the universe like at this moment you know so now we don't have to factor in expansion or like moving bodies or curvature of space because of gravity other gravity and all that type of stuff if we just take a we make it a static still thing um then you can figure out well how accurate how many decimals of pi do i need to be accurate enough to calculate the circumference or the uh, circumference of the universe um, to the accuracy of a Planck length, which is as accurate as you could possibly be. And, like, that gets you to, like, 62 digits. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so that is just another way of showing that, like, the mathemat mathematical relationship from a numerical standpoint is not a direct physical relationship of the reality that we live in however it is as as an irrational number is a direct representation of the physical reality we live in because without having it be an ir irrational number we do not have spheres as uh, bodies floating in space you don't have the relationship between space and time you don't have the fabric of space you don't have field theory of of whether it's electrical fields or magnetic fields or whatever fields that we've talked about lots of times like none of that stuff works unless you can create these perfect spherical shapes and the only way that you can do that is using an irrational number because what when the universe, when you look at the universe in a the most possible granular level, it is little bits, little yeah. square bits. So it's never going to smooth out to a perfect curve. Right, which is amazing. Um, that like they, the way that they used to calculate it was, uh, you know, pretty smart. I think for back then, considering right. you, you know this is. That's the big thing about it is that it doesn't, the numbers are just a new thing to us. Yeah. The concept goes way before numerical systems ever existed. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, um, like this is back when, you know, uh, people didn't know how to read inside of their heads. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, libraries, the rule for being quiet in a library is because everyone used to read out loud. So, please. <laughs> They had to hear the words, otherwise moderate volume, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that's is it. I forget which uh, which uh, philosopher that that was his big claim to fame is he could read inside of his own head. Uh, was it Aristotle? Uh, it was, uh, or no? It, I think it's Socrates. Socrates, yeah, is um, so that's why he was a genius. Um, <laughs> which I mean, so that's kind of the funny thing too. Like you're, to, you know, to bring it all back is. As you're describing, like when pre-algebra clicked for you, um, if you had described that to, you know, like Archimedes or someone at that time, like they would, you know, at the age of, I don't know how old they were when, when they started discovering those sorts of things, but they, it was like they were into adulthood whenever they were like, ah, what if we, you know had if we had two on both sides of the equal sign if we just took two away from both sides like that yeah. is uh it's amazing that the human brain has not evolved past that point it's just we now can teach <laughs> those concepts to kids if it's taught correctly 
in a way that they understand it. Yeah, and there there is a you know theory of the evolution of information, you know, uh, and very similar to like the uh, evolution of technology and that type of stuff, where it's not that our brains aren't capable or that our brains suddenly like got way better at being smart. It's like the same brain that it was 10,000, 100,000 years ago. It's uh, just, it's, you can, uh, information does build upon itself in an exponential fashion. Like that's the way that it works. Um, And if you can create a robust enough society that can maintain information for a long enough period of time, you don't have to go through the like pitfalls of, hey, we figured this out. Oh, shit, it went away for a thousand years. Hey, we figured this right. out again. <laughs> <laughs> Which this, was- this also did and, and was also discovered by many different cultures at different time periods that had no way of knowing each other talked or talked about it or, you know, like shared the information with each other because it was done in totally different ways that were influenced by like the direct ancestor ancestral lineages of their culture and religious mythology and things like that that led them to try to figure out what this that what is the magic what is the magic of a circle why can't why is it so easy for me to figure out how many tiny squares can fit in a big square but i can't ever figure out how many tiny squares fit inside of a circle yeah it's it's pretty interesting and it's funny like looking up all of the different videos and stuff for people describing it because you have like I don't know I've I've found like the people who are almost math dedicated channels they will take the time to actually describe this is what was happening in India this is what mm-hmm. was happening in Persia this is what was happening in China and then you get certain people um that are just like you know Archimedes thought of pi at this time and then it was a thousand years <laughs> until anybody thought of it again. Then came along Isaac Newton. Yeah. And, and like, then Isaac Newton found Archimedes' old notes. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's um, it's a big yikes. Uh, but the okay. So I think it. So the the idea of pi has been known for four thousand years, mm-hmm. roughly at least. I mean, and. It's it's kind of as long as the archaeological record that you can figure out because we don't have like the old buildings or some old structures of other earlier civilizations and things like that. There's there's definitely a geometric relationship in things that were built in ancient Egypt that go back to that far that have relationship to pi that don't even have like it written in a mathematical relationship anywhere. Yeah, like uh, pi, they do believe was used, or at least an estimation of pi was used in some form on like pyramid building. So in, in ancient Egypt, they knew about it, um, which is, you know, younger than 4,000 years ago, right? Well, yeah. maybe not the pyramids. Not, yeah, remember. not all the way, but yeah. Um, uh, But I, I found it interesting that like the Babylonians, uh, <clears throat> their estimation of pi was within less than like 1% accuracy, which is... I mean, pretty good for for most uses. Um, they estimated at three and one eighth, so three point one two five. Yep. Um, interestingly, though, uh, their numerical system was base sixty. So. <laughs> I know that that's the craziest thing when you start to study this. Is like 
no one just had a base 10 system. No one did. So to, yeah. to, to just imagine just calculating the square root for like your first integer, you know, as you're trying to figure out the first decimal when you're trying to, okay, I'm guessing it's around three, but it's probably more than three because, you know, I mean, they use three in the Bible for Solomon's temple. Um, but, you know, obviously it's more than three. So you start to just work that out, but you have a base 60 <laughs> numerical system. <laughs> Yeah, I <clears throat> or you're using I mean, Roman numerals which have like no place value right. system. Yeah, so that was the that was the other thing that like the it was in this system and then they started estimating it by um which you know, I think is genius. Uh maybe somebody who's like an engineer would would also think it's smart but then be like, okay, well yeah, that obviously makes sense. Um uh, how do I know that? Uh, I I have lived with a an engineer for a long time and sometimes i describe things to her that i think is crazy and she's like yeah of course <laughs> uh, and so the the way that they would do it is you would have a circle and then to estimate the circumference right that's what they would be getting to mm -hmm. uh, which they could then work out to pi because the circumference is um pi times the radius squared Right. right. So first, it is or radius. You, you start two. like you did in uh, in school with the first time you ever tried to figure out the circumference. Like you wrap a string around it. You know, pi two r. <clears throat> you you wrap. Right? A is it, it's it's times two. Hold on. It's squared, not squared. Squared is the area. <laughs> pi right? r squared is the area. Okay. There we go. Sorry. Yes. Wrap a string around it. <laughs> yeah. Um. But see, the the problem back then though was it was easy to wrap a string around a circle. But how do you know exactly what the diameter is? That's the tough part. Because you can bisect a circle, but how do you know that you bisected it at exactly the halfway point? And you didn't oh, like okay. make it a little bit too low or a little bit too high. How do you know that you bisected it? So then you have to start thinking, okay, but we did already figure out triangles. All right, we know what right triangles are. So if we make a square around that circle, right, and then you draw a line that cuts from one diagonal corner of that square to the other diagonal corner of that square, then you have bisected the circle correctly because you've made two triangles out of the square. So you've bisected that. Then you can make a line from the other two corners and you can bisect that line again at a perfect 90 degree angle so you know exactly that that's also what the radius is because you've now dissect, bisected the, the diameter. At, at the exact 90 degree angle. So now you've got that point, but you can't figure that out if you don't have Pythagorean theorem first. So you have to have Pythagoras first to do the triangle stuff before you can start to apply that to circles in order to figure out just what a diameter is. <laughs> and, and, and what do you know what the uses were for knowing this? Building. Building like, and then also need... for measurement. Uh, like uh, Pythagoras is also for measuring like the... He was trying to figure out the size of the planet. He was also measuring, trying to figure out measurements to distances in, in the sky, you know, of things. And guessing at, like, the distance of the sun, guessing at the distance from the moon. So you make a lot of triangles in order to be able to figure that stuff out over time and you track it through the sky. And then why do you need to know, like, the radius or diameter? So if you're going to um, figure, if the, the point is um, there's... 
you once you figure out that there is a diameter, you can perfectly bisect a circle in half, and that is a diameter. Then you start to figure out, wait a second, when I take the string of the circumference and I take a string that's the length of the diameter, no matter what, no matter how long the diameter is to the circumference or how long the circumference is to the diameter, any size circle, those always seem to be the same difference. There's a ratio that's happening with these two lengths, no matter Mm -hmm. what. Like it's always the same. So we got we know it's a little bit more than three times the diameter when we lay this out in a straight line in the sand. So, but it's always just a little bit more than three times. Like every single time we do this in any circle we measure this on, it's the same. So oh that does lead to a lot of like instant like holy crap, it's it's God talking to us. <laughs> These are. This yeah. is like. This is magic. Or there's magic in this thing. Uh, we have to worship this. This ratio. This is like a thing that is for the smallest possible circle that you can imagine. The largest possible circle you can imagine. This ratio is constant. If we could just figure out the precise, precise ratio, because we can't get it right. We've tried. We can't get. Can't figure out what that ratio is. It's you know more than. Three over one, but it's less than four. <laughs> so how do yeah. we get it precise? Because if we can get it precise, like some some cultures are thinking, if we can get it precise, this is a way of communicating with God. Other people are like, if we can get it precise, this is a way of knowing more about knowing more about our universe. Which is you, that's the Archimedes, you know, Greek approach. But you know, other cultures have much much different relationships with their creators and their gods with how they approach this thing. Which is so, so funny to me that the thinking would be like, if we just solve this one, you know, escape room puzzle, God will (laughs) reveal himself to us. Um, And so the way that they would estimate it uh, and, you know, other than doing the string is they would draw a square on the inside Mm -hmm. so that only the corners touch the edges of the circle. Then they would draw a square on the outside where only the faces at one point touch the circle, then just measure the perimeters of both of those squares and know that it's the circumference of the circle is somewhere in between those two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they thought, as is well, the area. Uh, right. Because there's also okay. they also figure out that there's a relationship. We're not just in the not just in uh, the linear dimension, but also in the area dimension. That the, this ratio applies going forward to to all those things as well. Yeah, yeah. And so then they realize that the the more sides you give to the shapes, like a hexagon is going to fit it tighter and reduce that kind of air pocket space, if you'll imagine, mm-hmm. uh, between the shape and the circle. So then they just get to where they're like, all right, we're going to just make big, big shapes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then spend years doing it <laughs> because, as you described, their numbers are um, messed up at this point. They don't have the place value system. And we don't have, like, uh, journals that are, like, uh, the audio diary of Archimedes as he's brainstorming this thought experiment before he starts working on it. But my imagination of it is the way that he thinks of it first is... Okay, so a circle. If I wanted to figure out exactly what a circle is, the circumference of it, or the area of it is, mathematically, 
I can't do that because I have no way of measuring a curve. But what if that wasn't a curve? What if it was just a lot of little bitty straight lines that were all connected together going around the perimeter? And so I think the concept first in the head is he doesn't think conceptually first of the square inscribed inside of a circle. I think he first thinks of a circle with a million little bitty straight lines connected together. And then he's like, okay, well, a million straight lines, that's way too many to calculate a million little slivers of triangle pizza, slices of pizza in order to figure out this problem using my triangle method. So I could start with a square and then you go to, uh, then you just add sides to the polygon and you get to like uh, an octagon. Then you got a bunch of triangles and you figure that out. Okay. And you go dodecahedron. You just keep adding sides until you can get as close as you can. But the problem is you don't have a, <laughs> a base 10 n- numeral system with place value <laughs> relationships for any of that stuff. So you run yeah. out of, uh, you run out of like things to write on inside of your, room in in order to do all of the uh the the uh the calculations in order to figure it out so you only get to you know a certain number of sides before you're like this is sufficient <laughs> <laughs> yeah well he got to 96 sides yeah uh a sided shape and then estimated pi at between 3.1408 and 3.1429 um which you know everyone who uses pi pretty much just uses 3.14 anyways yeah uh, so that's pretty close. I, there was like a story. I don't know if it was true, but when the Romans were like invading, uh, his town, he was supposedly working on it. And, uh, he said to them, uh, don't mess with my circles. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when they drag him out of his, uh, they drag him out of his lab. That's what he's yeah. like. <laughs> the only thing he cared about was not that they were going to kill him, but you please, just preserve these circles for future generations. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and so then we get to China, and I wanted to spend a minute here because the the people, there's one person in the third century, uh, Liu Hui, who is a mathematician and used a polygon with 3,072 sides. Yep. Um, and, and in China, they consider like the areas of the shapes to get to these numbers. Mm-hmm. And he obtained pi within five digits, uh, which rounding, but it was 3.1416. And no errors. That's the thing is like it took it's a long time. And I have to imagine that that's like you're he's in some huge giant room and they're able to draw out a bunch of shapes like in the ground and then like go stand up on a balcony above it and look down. Yeah, like I can't imagine that without like a visual aid that you're just holding all that in your head. Like you have to have yeah. a way of like drawing out the problem in a visual representation to make sure that you're not, you're not accidentally skipping a step when you're talking about that many sides and doing the square root that many times. What I don't understand though is how did they come upon the shape? Like how do they know the length of side to start with because 3000 sides that's going to take a long time to draw out and if you are off by you know a few inches then you're going to get to where you only have half of a shape at the end yeah and that's got it that that must lend it to be like whatever numeric system they were using i would think that 
like we can do something where we do it in base 10. So we're like using, you know, multiples of 10 as a way as our starting point. So it's easy to compute as we're going through. But if they're, you know, base 60 or something else, they probably have some kind of integer that is like an easily multipliable and divisible integer that they can decide that this is what the what the perimeter we're starting for or the unit link that we're going to use or something like that, I would guess. Yeah, it must be. Then there was um, like 200 years later, between 429 and 500, uh, Zhu Chongzi and then Zhu Gengji. Um, one of them was the son. I think the Gengji is Yeah, the they're son. a father-son team. And they used a polygon that was uh, 12,288 sides and got to 3.14159, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, extremely accurate. And that record held for like over 800 years. But this is like the point in time when I start to just think like, geez, these people like, like being able to just sit around and think um feels like that would be just a dream job (laughs) (laughs) right but there's no like nobel prize or anything that back then there's no like global consortium that's getting together he's like who added another digit (laughs) you're you're paying me to sit around and think about shapes that's fine with me um but they this the uh chongji was so smart like his wikipedia page has all the stuff that he did um he calculated one year as uh 365.24281481 days um which is you know extremely close to what we actually have uh he calculated the number of overlaps between the sun and the moon uh which was extremely close it was off on the uh 10 hundred thousandth place by one um and uh he successfully predicted like eclipses um calculated the jupiter year and then it got to the point where there was this thing so he invented uh the water powered trip hammer mill um which i didn't know what a hammer mill was and then i looked it up and i'm like that's a pretty smart invention <laughs> uh he invented the chinese paddle boat so that they could have like sails and paddles for whenever like the sailing was uh, not good. But then he reinvented something called the South Pointing Chariot. And apparently in like uh, this person, Ma Jun in the 200s created this device. And then it was lost, which you were describing earlier, which is why I wanted to talk about this. Mm. They just lost the technology. Yeah, and you don't have any, you don't have any kind of robust uh, copying and pasting all over the world with the information. So if it's just like one guy who like makes a cool thing and he tells like two friends and then they just die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they so there was this thing that it was like really useful that it eventually it was a essentially a mechanical compass, and it was a chariot, uh, but you pushed it. I guess you could pull it with a with a slow animal, um, but you would use it in military battles, obviously, when you're marching, where you always want to know what direction you're going. And they built this thing where a little figure on top would point south, no matter which way you turned it, based on the internal gears and mechanisms 
connected to the wheels and then connected to this figurine. So no matter how fast you turned it or how many times you spun it around, it's always going to point south. So it's like calibrated, like it started calibrated, yeah. pointed south, and then you can turn it all the time and it'll return to south no matter what. Right, yeah, which is, you know, genius. Well, they they lost the technology to do this. Then whenever like uh, some king invaded this area, he found the shell of one. Somebody had taken out the the mechanism on the inside, which, you know, back then you got to think, if you're being invaded and there's this like very useful technology, you're going to destroy it, like the inside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they took out the mechanism. So they had the shell and they knew what it was from like stories and writings and stuff, but they didn't know how to make it. So then the king like just gave it to a uh, zoo. It was just like, figure out how this is supposed to work. And then he like reinvented it at like even more accurate so i think that's just like insane genius yeah yeah you give you 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 get you uh got a crashed alien aircraft and you like just gave it to your best scientist and said reverse engineer we're gonna need this technology (laughs) (laughs) um but then i think the point that uh i really wanted to get to as well is like the the place value notation or positional notation that like Started to revolutionize pi, yeah. obviously, but revolutionized math in general. Yeah, once you get because, once everyone starts using a base ten, it's it's really cool. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that, like, you look at Roman numerals, and you know, I you know, us us learned uh, folk who studied Latin, um, we can kind of who fumble around the Super with it Bowl. still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, they only go up to what fifty-two now. Uh, so, you, I guess you're a big NFL fan. I don't know how many Super Bowls there've been. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, but the thing with with numbers at this point, and I'll describe it using Japanese because that's the one I'm much more familiar with. Uh, but you know, Chinese is very similar mathematical system, and then every math system at this time, every number system was the same pretty much. Mm. You have numbers, you have characters that represent numbers, um, and then you have additional characters that represent what place in the number that is. Yeah. Uh, and that's extremely important for writing out the words. It's like writing out a check. You know, you have to write, um, you know, 1,400. The thousand and hundred are characters that just mean the thousandth place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're talking about math at this time, they have to have those. There is no notion until like it's, I think developed in India and then spreads to Persia around like 400 that if you just place a number, if you put a one in front of a two, what if we just knew that the one represented the tens place. Right. We weren't add. It wasn't a meant to just be add these two numbers together because we put them next to each other. <laughs> right. And so that's like, if you were to write out the number 1,234, we can all like immediately picture what that number looks like. Um, but if you were to just write the numbers for one, two, three, four and say Japanese or, uh, 
Roman numerals or anything before this time, it would just look like you had a list mm-hmm. of numbers. It would just look like you're saying one, two, three, and four. So you have to have these markings that tell you what the place is. Then the concept of it just being to the left of something means it has, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, one. We can't just put them willy nilly anywhere, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, not like just the, sometimes uh, it'll be before it and sometimes it'll be after it, but it'll mean that it's more or sometimes less. <laughs> yeah, it's so that is obviously again to imagine that that came about in four hundred. And that's a revolution in math, but you can teach a three-year-old yeah. <laughs> that and they understand it is, is insane. Because you made it, you made it simple. You just have zero characters of zero through nine, and then you just repeat those characters in any of the number places to define, to like change the value of the number. But it's not like you have a whole different set of characters for the hundreds place. And a whole different set of characters for when it goes to a thousand, <laughs> and yeah. stuff like, and then you have to like undo a thousand down into like hundreds of the hundreds characters if you if you're trying to reduce it, and now you've like changed your entire character system just to reduce it once, and then when you reduce it down to tens, you've changed your character system again. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing though that is. Uh, also crazy is that's why at this time, like zero didn't exist as a concept. Yeah. It existed as a placeholder. Like we don't have a tens number in this 102. Uh, so we just put the zero to hold the place. We know that there is no tens number here, but that doesn't mean that it's the concept of zero. Um, which I think is also pretty interesting. I would love to do a zero episode. Yeah, zero's like- fun. Um, the, well, and the the whole part of that too is to still show that whether you had a base eleven system or you had a base sixty system or whatever, uh, however many uh, numerical characters you want to add to your system, it does not change the this irrational number or this ratio between a diameter and a circumference no matter what system you use so this is not some like artifact of modern mathematics or something like that this is uh this is a ubiquitous uh value that uh, that is realized regardless if you have a numerical system or not yeah it's um so that i think Understanding that that's like a revolution is huge and understanding that like it can then work in multiple number systems. Like it is, it is a, you know, universal concept once you can kind of wrap your head around it as a, I guess, philosopher or society or whatever level your math is considered at. Um, and then algebra being developed in Babylon, but then fully established in Persia is another crazy one. And that's where I start to lose <laughs> like track of the development of pi because it gets to a point that's like... Well, yeah, the, it, it gets too hard to do the the reduction method. It gets too hard to do the exhaustion method. It gets too hard to just keep adding sides. No, you, you know, 
you don't have a calculator, there's no computers. So this is relying on like lots of people working together over long periods of time doing these tedious calculations that every time you go to the next step, it has exponentially increased the number of mechanics that you have to do. Every time it it double, you know, the the number of things that you have to do doubles as you go down the chain. And your numbers keep getting bigger and bigger too, which makes that even harder to make sure that you're not messing up, you know, one digit here or there somewhere. Um, so, you know, you have algebra, but then when we get to um, Leibniz and uh, Newton and the invention of calculus, this is the where the vision of, okay, there's just like, when we figured out multiplication was a faster way of doing addition. This is a very cool ratio, but it is there are faster ways that we can do this if we apply the lessons that we've learned from algebra and geometry and just like say, you know, let's do let's advance these so we can skip some steps. Let's find more efficient methods to get to here. Let's find the patterns and the noise. Um, and so a lot of this is like, is there an end at this point? No one knows if there's an end to the number, like the next digit's going to be the last one. And then it's going to be repeating twos after that forever. So we found the end of it, or maybe we did, there will be a zero and a zero and then it stops and there's nothing, you know, it reduces. Um, so to find, that was the big deal. Like we have to find it, but we can't have people spending a thousand hours of, you know, at, at a time yeah. trying to figure this thing out. Um, so you'd have the development, which had been, you know, theorized in more in more ancient things before, but now in a applied setting with through calculus, you have, you know, tangent and cosine and those things that allow you to do these types of series of long um, equations where you're just, you know, adding a fraction, minusing a fraction, adding a fraction, minusing a fraction, adding a fraction, minusing a fraction over and over again in these long series where you can truncate that and do them formulaically in different methodologies. And you have different sort of calculus reduction methods to get to these numbers that different people use, different mathematicians all over the world use during this sort of two century time period after Newton, where they all like converge on adding more and more decimals to it using uh, calculus methods. And, you know, so that's like all the rage for a while. Like, man, we're getting to like huge, you know, huge digits behind here now. Um, and of course, then you know, we get computers in the early 1900s and that all makes all that stuff go away. <laughs> no one right. tries to do it manually anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think the the way that it like has developed now is is so beyond necessity um, that I think it's it's very interesting to know like how NASA uses Pi. Right. That they, the, there was like an, interview uh, with um mark raymond who is the director in chief of nasa's dawn mission so this is in like 2017 he was being interviewed and while pi has been calculated to like what two something 2.7 trillion digits which is insane um nasa only uses 15 digits mm -hmm. 
Um, so they get out there to, uh, I'm not even going to read that number, uh, but it's close enough for them that at the time in 2017, Voyager 1, which is still the farthest thing from Earth, but this is the distance it was at, was 12.5 billion miles away. Um, so if we had a circle with the radius of exactly that size, uh, or say like 25 billion miles in diameter, then if they calculated the circumference um, with their 15 digits of pi, then it would come out to 78 billion miles. And the er uh, the error on that would only be wrong by like 1.5 uh, inches. Yeah. So when you're considering the vastness of space and you're like, well, you know, you don't want too much of an error because if you can't, if you don't know where something is, and especially in three dimensions, if you're off, then you're never going to find it. You can't connect the satellite to the spaceship or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you're 1.5 inches away from something, you're going to see it. Well, but the important thing to remember there is that in an error with pi, the further you go out, the more the error accumulates. So it's not just like a constant just off by this much. Right, right. So if you want to do like just non-local solar system travel, you do need to do more than 15 digits of pi. And then you also have to start, you you might need to get in like the 200 digits of pi, which is beyond, you know, like the Planck scale. But the importance there is that you're factoring in, uh, your accuracy gets factored in better for like when you're saying, okay, there's also we're sending this spaceship out there beyond our solar system. So the universe is going to expand in that time. <laughs> so we have to also calculate that the giant sphere of the universe has gotten bigger. The diameter of the universe has gotten bigger, which means the distance between some of these things has gotten further apart. Um, they're also moving in or in orbital geometries, which we have to ca calculate pi for as well. And so your accuracy has to get higher to the point where it's more, you're using calculations that are more accurate than trying to calculate to the Planck length of the universe, but you need it because if you get, if you're off at the beginning, just by a little bit, by the time you get to the next star system, you're going to be way off. <laughs> is, is pi necessary for calculating those things? Because like, the universe is flat <laughs> like is it right well the universe is, kind of is virtually flat but it's not because it does curve which we can calculate using pi but it is flat but it is also <laughs> it is also curved <laughs> cool <laughs> so, yeah that's one of those ones that doesn't doesn't stick yeah like i mean uh, you know, uh, like a uh, like a a circular pond can be flat, but it can also be curved. Okay, yeah, it can appear flat, right? Because I have a dumb brain. <laughs> but all of this pie stuff, most of most of which we've only been talking about in like the two dimensional realm, also directly relates to three dimensional. So if you talk about spheres and dodecahedrons and like. The same thing that you did with the uh, putting a polygon around a circle in the 2D plane, you can build a soccer ball around a perfect sphere and then stitch all the 
all the hexagons on the soccer ball together to make it close to a perfect sphere and then get the close to what the area of that perfect sphere would be by measuring all of the tiles on the on the soccer ball but it works it right. works in all the directions uh, i'll take your word for that one um <laughs> but what is so we're speaking of space uh and this is why you wanted to do pi how does this relate to aliens okay. like i understand yeah they would understand the ratio but what if their number system was like based on pi which i understand is i think rads yeah but and still th- so i read contact the book we watched the movie for the movie podcast last week um do you like it you should listen. yeah did you like it um the um the in the book like in ellie's young age when she's like a young kid curious about science like after her dad dies she dives into a bunch of like science stuff and she she gets into pi and that's what really unlocks her to like want to become a astronomer because that's she figures out a lot of the stuff that we just talked about like she does like her own little experiment with polygons and then she does like try you know but it's got to be a rational number like this ratio has to, if you get a circle big enough then the fraction will reduce to a to like a r- rational number right but it that never does um, and that's what starts to get her curious about, like, trying to figure out these more underlying, like, fundamental things that seem like magic almost, you know. But it's not magic. It's just you figured out some fundamental thing about the universe. And you can apply it ubiquitously to a lot of things to figure things out. But you can't ever, like, put your finger on what the magic is that's making it. You can't ever pinpoint it. Very much like quantum field theory and everything like that. You're never, like... Once you think you've localized it, you've you've lost it type of thing. Um, and so, you know, she develops. And in the movie, they the aliens talk back to the humans and they send them a bunch of messages to build a machine so that the machine will teleport um, astronauts to uh, this, this other star system where there's a way station at the end of a wormhole. Um, where they can talk to them and they can and sort of give the human beings a bunch of information like, hey, you know, we've aliens been around a long time. Just letting you know, this is the way the process works when we welcome someone else to the neighborhood type of thing. And then they send them all back. Well, when they get sent back, like there's no evidence in, in the book, like a team of five astronauts go in the movie. Only Ellie goes by herself. But when they get sent back, like there's no evidence that they actually went on the journey because from everyone's perspective on earth, they were never left like their little pod machine that was supposed to vanish and go down a wormhole just like falls right in the ocean. So whatever happened in that fall from like two seconds into the ocean was to the people who were on the trip, you know, like a long time, (laughs) but they have no like data from the trip because they went through a wormhole and they assume like the electromagnetism from the wormhole like wiped all their cameras, wiped all their recording devices, wiped everything. They don't have any record of it. So, you know, Congress gets all mad at them and says, you guys just wasted Congress's money just on a some stupid hoax, made us build all these machines, trillions of dollars, did all this stuff and you got nothing. And you guys are just a bunch of conspiracy artists bullshitting everyone. So they're all like disgraced. Um, but it turns out that at the end, Ellie figures out that there is evidence of the trip. And when she's um, being communicated to by the aliens, 
they'd say that we're not the first ones who we didn't construct any of this in fact it's ancient technology we have no idea who constructed this thing we're just the ones who are riding you know being the messenger right now who it's our turn to be the messenger um but the way that we figured it out was that um ancient intelligences that had been interstellar beings um put in clues into pi and that's how we figured it out because there was eventually a sequence of digits in pi in a base 11 number system that reduced to zeros and ones. And when you decoded that in a binary fashion, you got a lot of information that um, gave you an exact perfect representation of a circle like when you when you did it. And so it's supposed to be like some kind of beacon like when you can if you can figure this code out, then you can you know, you're welcomed into the class. And so she remembers that when she gets back and she goes and she starts to look for it and she finds it in the base 11, like after, I forget, it's like 27,000 digits or maybe 27 million digits of pi in base 11, it comes across the zero and one sequence. And then it does, when she decodes the zero, one in binary, it does create a perfect circle. And so she's like, ah, they were there the whole time. Um, so this interstellar species created pi? <laughs> no, that yeah, uh, that's that's the that's the question. And like Sagan leaves it open ended in the book as a way of being like, is this actually evidence, or is this um a scientist who's gone through a very profound experience and is now looking for a lot of signals in the noise that aren't really there? And is she now corrupted by her subjective experience in trying to have an objective data-driven process? So you, you, if you are the person who reads the book looking for signs of God in, in the stars and science as a way of like being like, oh, he really is there. He's just, you know, quietly in the background, like waiting for us to figure it out. Then you maybe you have the like, ah, there is some spirituality out there in the universe type of thing. Like uh, there is some sort of higher level being that's encoded in all of this stuff. Or if you can read it as the other way that um, she went through a, a big experience and became very obsessed and was trying to find signals in the noise that weren't there type of thing. And part of it is because of how the her whole process went through with her congressional hearings and how the whole uh everybody derided derided their experience and everything like that so you don't know he doesn't definitively say whether it's one or the other it's not like the aliens come down to to the globe and say yes she's not lying guys it's really the truth the no the signal was in the noise you know you just left with mm -hmm. like her quiet contemplation about it interesting um that that does remind me that like the the usage of pi being that it is used now mostly by like uh cryptographers yeah yeah <laughs> is also pretty interesting yeah because it is so random it, well and that's that's the cool th even with 2.7 trillion digits when you look at the occurrence of all 10 integers they all happen almost exactly the same number of times <laughs> like yeah. within like very 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 uh 
high tolerance of, of being almost exactly the same number of occurrences. So there's it is a random number generator, even though there are some sections where it's like the same number, like, you know, five or six times in a row when you're looking at it, like, oh, wow, there's a bunch of nines that are all strung together. It's there is not a there's no pattern. Uh. So have you looked up if uh, there is a code in Pi? No. Carl Sagan uh, figure I, one out. I don't no one's found one. That's that's the thing is that it is it, by all metrics and all supercomputers that are have looked at it and are looking to add more um, digits to it, it is the <laughs> most classic representation of a totally random number generator. <laughs> there is not a pattern that develops even at 2.7 trillion decimal places on uh wolfram alpha which uh were you around when that came that website came out Mm-mm, i don't know what that is you don't know what the, oh god man this was uh people my age will know exactly what it is because it's where you went to look at math problems okay it, like, had every it would show you how like to do a math problem this was the perfect homework website and it came about like uh, probably right when I was in high school. Um, but they have, uh, you can just type in like any kind of math thing you want. Like this is just convert pi to base 11. And uh, so it'll show you that. So it's 3.16150702, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then they have an A in there because that's how you have to do. Yeah, you got to add. Ten. Yeah, you have to add an. <laughs> <laughs> Got to figure out where to put that extra, <laughs> extra <laughs> character. <laughs> um, but then it also is just like here. Do you want to see what it is in base two, base four, base eight? Um, so you could play around with that. Maybe you can find a code. Uh, you'll yeah. be the one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that's the like the other thing is the book. Even though the book is written in 1985, like when she's doing the work to figure out the base 11 pi, that's it's only in 1999. So she doesn't have like even <laughs> like the level of computers that exist in 2004, 2005, 2006, anything like that. Like that's not even imagined at that point. So she's having to work it out. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, no, I just thought that it's one of those where I, like, I think a lot of people like with math, you know, you just glaze over with, with something like that. But, um, with things like pi and other sort of geometrical representations, those are the things that really resonate for me as far as, uh, I don't know when, whenever anything, whenever I think of math, if I can think of math in a ratio, uh, converted ratio way like everything is just a ratio of something else and if i can compare those ratios to each other i can conceptually understand like the size between stars and the size the distance between the moon and and this the earth and the distance between jupiter and the sun and like those types of things i can really uh gra get my head around um but yeah when it's when it when it was ever taught in a in a total numerical way I can't, I can't focus on it. Um, that's why I like this and, you know, anything that is geometric related because I can really figure it out. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to be able to actually have like this stuff kind of click. 
um, just because it's, it is so complicated, uh, whenever people are just describing it in numbers, that's, that's the thing, like in order to be able to explain math, you have to be able to understand math at a much higher level. Um, so it's like, I have a theory that anyone who writes comedy for drugs has to have written it on a more intense drug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you, if you never have done drugs, it's going to be hard <laughs> to to be like, man, that fucking acid. Woo! Yeah, I got the uh, armpit buzz and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You have, um, you know, for for your weed comedy, you must have to have written it on mushrooms, yeah. right? <laughs> like it's there's there's those steps, um, but. The people who then get to a point of understanding math often can understand it themselves, but don't have an ability to explain it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is, that's, Um, I think, the biggest problem with how the teachers that you come across, like, you have the teachers that, like, they get it, and they can, like, do it real fast on, like, a board in front of you, and then you'll be like, I didn't get it. And so then they'll, like, erase it, and they'll do it all, the exact same thing again. They'll be like, so you get it now? And you're like... No, <laughs> yeah. like, give, give me some sort of practical example so that I can hold that in my head while we're talking about the, the things that you're doing on the board. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why, like, for me, you know, chemistry and biology and um, that's where, like, physics starts to break down for me is biology and chemistry, you can, it, it's representative completely, like, all the stuff you're talking about. And it's, even though you can describe it with math, it is a physical, uh, relationship that's going on Mm -hmm. and physics. I understand being the name has a physical relationship, but the way that it's described is so mathematical that it's complicated, Mm -hmm. you know, like describe to me mirrors, um, but only with photons, not the numbers and I'll get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you've looked in a mirror, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's how it works. That's the way it does. You got to be able to see. And so then just figure out how seeing works and then you know how mirrors work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Done. Simple. <laughs> Taught it. <clears throat> All right, man. Well, thank thank you for letting me talk about pie. I hope I didn't bore everyone with with my idea and sorry we didn't do it on like march 14th like all the nerds wanted us to that's how we keep them on their toes <laughs> no we're, um, we're gonna wait and post this one on march 14th 2115 so we can get the full four digits 21 march 14th 20 21 14 21 15 march 14th 2115 31415 oh, so Okay, but yeah, the two and the one aren't in there. Well, no, so not when you write a date. They're never in there. We're in America. Oh, man. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> well, I mean, didn't we like, because of Y2K, we all wrote four-digit years for a while in the early 2000s, and then everyone just kind of stopped and went back to truncating it to the last two years? Yeah. I mean, everyone described those years at the time, I don't remember people saying oh, 04. No, yeah, they were, everyone would always say 2004. Yeah. And especially when it was like 
uh, 2010. Like everyone would say 2010 or 2011. Like no one ever said, oh yeah, you know what happened in 10? Man, we were really hanging right, out in yeah. 11. It had to be the 20s where people yeah, started yeah, yeah. kind of. But we were all locked inside, so we didn't understand like people what don't, happened. We refer to like the 1920s as like, oh yeah, back in the 20s. But we right. don't refer to ourselves as living in the 20s now. Never forget what they've taken from you. <laughs> Start calling it 22 anytime like anyone references it. Oh yeah, you mean 22? <laughs> right. So uh, a real quick PSA. Um Keep your eye out for uh, uh, this. It's a chalky substance. It's a fentanyl that they're they're coloring it in bright colors, and then they're wrapping it in this uh, plastic wrap that says Smarties on it. They're trying to get kids to think. Dude, I've seen this. Fentanyl, I've seen this everywhere. This rainbow fentanyl everywhere. They will die. It's serious. I've been seeing this everywhere. They call them smarties because they want kids to think that they'll be smarter if they take the fentanyl. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's really weird, too. Like, the uh, the the drug dealer that came up with it was, like, this eight-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he was like, hey, what if, uh, what if instead of giving away my Skittles, I gave away fentanyl so I could keep my Skittles? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> For no reason whatsoever, decided to come up with that. It's the Archimedes of his time. Because <laughs> first he was just lacing a little few Skittles, you know, like cutting them with fentanyl a little bit. And he was like, why put any Skittle in there? I keep all the yeah. Skittles. And uh, we should tell Justin to also be careful if he goes to any Seahawks games because apparently they're burning flags oh, in those shit. locker rooms. Shit, 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 man. I can't believe they let Michael Bennick back on the team after he burned the flag the last time. <laughs> it's They're radical, that's why. <laughs> hey, well, we all know that Pete Carroll is a 9-11 truther, and that is real. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's the... He might not be the only NFL coach, but he's the only open NFL 9-11 truther NFL coach. Yeah, he's definitely not the only one. <laughs> All right, man. Until next week. Bye.